0: I'm Lisa Kay, here co-hosting with the lovely Jen Conkey. And we have an amazing guest today, Coach Jen. So we've got lots of Jens up in her today. (laughs) Um, (laughs)
1: It's all about the Jen squared.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Love it, love it. Jennifer, Jennifer, and Lisa, we're like totally... 80s, it's fine. <laughs> um, all right, so, um, I, all right, I want to tell you guys a little bit about Coach Jen. So, Coach Jen Matthews is a performance coach whose 24 year career spans professional dance, fitness, corporate wellness behavioral health, and transpersonal psychology. What a resume.
2: Um,
0: So transpersonal psychology is the study of human potential. I'm so excited to talk about this with you guys today. Um, Her company, the Move Strong Methods, specializes in performance coaching for parents and life skills coaching for athletes. Mm -hmm. She's a mompreneur, Um, who loves cooking, play, and travel with family. So Coach Jen, welcome, welcome, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you for having me, ladies. I'm super (laughs) excited to support you supporting me with all the love, right? Yes.
0: Oh Oh my gosh. What what an amazing background. So I'm sure our guests are thinking, our listeners are thinking, where is this even going to go? There's, we could probably talk for two hours. There's so many things. And even (laughs) actually, Coach Jen and I were on the phone. We just kind of fell in love with each other. So, like, she's amazing. She really uh, is.
1: That's why I was like, "Oh my gosh, we got to try and get yeah.
0: her on here." Thank, Thank you. you. Join us, Jen. She's like the soul sister you've always been looking for. So, uh, for our listeners, you guys are gonna love Coach Jen. So, Jen, I just I want to take advantage of our precious time. So, let's jump right in. Um, mm-hmm. Tell us a bit about your background. So you have a really interesting story and sort of how that led up to this transpersonal psychology focus and performance coaching for parents. Um, so just dive in and kind of walk us through that.
2: Absolutely. So the performance, it's, a kind, of, it's kind of a bookend. It begins and it ends with performance. So my original track in performance was with dance and I danced for 16 years And people start doing the math of my age and they're like, what? But I I did actually dance for 16 years. I was professional for like the last four because I started when I was really young dancing and I just never stopped. Um, And dance is an amazing sport. I love it. It is unfortunately one of the highest risk injury sports for your children and yourselves. Um, And so I injured out by the time I was 18. And my whole life kind of hit the floor. Um, because it's all I knew, it's all I did. It's everything I loved. And I defined myself by what I did, which we'll talk about a little bit later, I think. But I defined all of who I was by what I, what the actions that I took as a dancer. And so when the floor bottomed out from underneath me and I chose not to dance because quite frankly, it would have taken, you know, those little bottle of Edbills that are like 25 pills a bottle. I was living on one of those a week and I was like 16 years old. Oh, so, yeah, I was like, I'm either going to rip out my gut here and burn a hole in it, or I, I have to find a better way to do this. Mm-hmm. So um, I went into a lot of physical therapy. Um, I had physical therapy for four years for all the different injuries I had from dance. And um, I always had to be exercising in order to rehab from that. So I started working in gyms. And I was behind the front desk at a gym, and someone had a question, and I was like, oh, I can answer that. They went, are you a trainer? And I was like, no. I'm like, you should be. And I was like, you're right. So I became a trainer in college because I couldn't hold the usual kind of jobs that everybody has in college where you're on your feet because of all my injuries. Um, So uh, training, after about 10 years of doing personal training and working in the retail fitness industry, I shifted to coaching because I just noticed this crazy difference between how people show up like the new year's resolution vibe and they're all excited and they want to go. And they're like, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And then about two months in they're like a bright light and the bulb is starting to fade. And then like two months after that, you're like, wait, your dimmer switch is on low. Now, how do we get that back up? And I just, I didn't have the tools, the mental emotional tools to really like get people to kick themselves back up a notch. So I added the coaching component. I was 11 years ago, Uh, went to the coach training Institute and went through their, intensive program. It takes about 18 months to go through their entire coaching certification um, and was accredited through that. And then did a blend. That's where the corporate wellness piece comes in because I took the training background and the health education background and the coaching background. I put them together in corporate wellness because a lot of corporations will hire coaches as part of their wellness programs. So my original foray into coaching was health coaching. And I did that for five years, working inside Oh, about 10 of the properties in Las Vegas. So from property to property, coaching everyone from the, you know, the ESL employee who lovingly takes out the garbage every day for all the people in Vegas. You don't, don't even know how hard these people work all the way up to the CFO of MGM. So um, it was a really broad range of experience there for coaching. And uh, I always get to this 10 year point where I'm like, I feel like I want some more. And that's when I added the transpersonal psychology piece. Uh, In 2016, I finished my master's degree in transpersonal psychology, which is like you said, that study of human potential and where we can really take ourselves.
1: That
2: is fascinating. Yeah, I love it. You're
0: freaking fantastic. (laughs) I had no idea that you could even
1: measure human potential.
2: Well, what it is, is it's looking at the, you know, psychology has evolved over over the course of its time. Psychology was originally structured as a science, like all the other sciences, a subject-object relationship. And that's why, you know, theories like Freudian theories of psychoanalysis go, well, if you're this, then here's the cause and here's the fix. And so we look at this subject-object relationship and we know ourselves by looking over there. And then psychology evolved to include behaviorism where you're looking at more like social emotional behaviors and okay let's correct the behaviors um and then from there it transitioned to what you might have heard of as humanistic psychology where they went well wait we're not just a brain and this thing this subject object and we're not just a bunch of behaviors we're actually a whole being over here so maybe we should look at the whole person so that was the birth of humanistic psychology And from there, it shifted to what's very popular, has been popular for the last decade, is positive psychology, right? The will and spirit of a human to create a positive experience for themselves. And transpersonal psychology evolved from there, so it kind of goes on the scale of evolution through through the science of psychology. And I like to tell a little bit of that story so people can see the utility of all those different types of psychological disciplines. And transpersonal psychology says, okay, you have a body, yep, you're a whole human, And you also have something that animates you, right? Like what's that thing that makes you, you, what's that piece that brings you alive that makes you not just a bunch of physical cells sitting on the couch. And, and because of that, that spirit, um, that vibe, whatever you want to call it inside of you, that really is the thing that animates you that can't be measured. Yeah. Right. That can't be measured. Yeah. It's capacity for creation is limitless. And That's so,
1: very it, interesting. Okay. so it,
2: pulls, it pulls that sense of spirituality into psychology in a completely non-secular way. It's not related to any particular religion and it can be used in any, you know, any discipline, whether it's professional or, or faith-based or educational or medical, transpersonal psychology can and
1: blend it's, in
2: all those spaces. It's interesting
1: because I know that they have developed a way to measure the, like the energy that our heart generates. Mm-hmm. So, so it, it makes a lot of sense to me. It's, it's, I'm a logical person. And to me, it's like, if you can measure the energy of my heartbeat or activity or the energy that's in my body, and you can measure it out, however many waves it's coming out in any direction, mm-hmm. I feel like that you, you can, like we're on the brink of being able to measure the impact or what, like, what creates that and what affects it. I think it's cool.
2: Absolutely, I think you can. It's a little existential, but I think you can grab that and compare it to, you know, the way that they're they're proving theories of relativity now with like discoveries of black holes and like yeah. all this science that's come up, right? And this concept that what you're pointing to is that everything is energy. It, it, I, I'll tell people, you know, e e actually does. E equals mc squared. It really is just everything is made out of energy, and you can come at that from a faith perspective, and that energy can be divine. And you can come at that from a science perspective, and straight up prove it with the distance of a yeah. light. You can see in that theory of relativity. So I love the blending of um, like quantum science is another place where transpersonal psychology and regular science start to blend. Um, but just this idea that there this is the point of integration, and this is how I came around to working on performance. It's this point of in- integration between the physical body we live in, right, the metaphysical experience that, that we have around us, and that thing that animates us. And if you can integrate that, that power and that energy um, and, and that force that animates you to really coordinate on a very high level with the physical body that you have, like crazy things start to happen.
1: Yeah, mind blown. Yeah, so I'm,
0: I'm like, I'm, I'm just like, I'm like <laughs> okay, let me just drop my mic. No question. <laughs> oh she
1: did that earlier. <laughs> I, I think it's interesting. like I I I read an article where it um it talked about how a lot of our a lot of our body is is made of of carbon, which is like the same thing that that stardust is made out of, and I was just like, that's fascinating. And there was like another element of the energy that's created from that and, and how they have these satellites that are measuring and looking at the interconnectivity of the stars to each other and then to the planet and then to us. And it's just it's really fascinating the things that they're starting to look at and change our vantage point. So that's cool.
2: Yeah.
0: It's it's so interesting because we truthfully all are interconnected, right? So if you ever think about you know before you before someone walks into a room you can actually, if you're paying attention, feel the energy shift depending upon whether they're in a good mood or a bad mood. Yeah. Before someone even walks through the door, their energy is already starting to flow in, in that direction of their intention. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, and, and you know, it's one of those things, I think it was Marion Williamson who talked about, you know, if you walk up to a conversation or walk up to a group of people and you're like, hey, how's it going? You know, like, I can feel they were probably just talking about me. Like there, I have no indication. Everyone's smiling. Everything's fine. But like, I know some shit just went down here. What is happening? Like you just feel it. And so it's interesting what you're talking about, like how empathetic we all truly are. If we just pay attention, like you, you know, so much more in your mind's eye than we even can possibly, you know, give ourselves credit for. So it's, it's so beautiful, the work that you're doing and how you described that was so eloquent, eloquent and connected so many dots for me. So great.
2: That is amazing. Well, and that's that's the goal of the work is that you? Uh, when you were talking, I kind of get this sense of like a two-way street. Like, so you've got information from the physical body and you've got this beautiful nervous system, this internal navigation system. And those nerve ends go out to everywhere from your gut to your toes to the tip of every strand of hair, right? And they're always informing you from the inside. And then you have, if you, what you were pointing to, to me, Jen, was this concept of duality versus non-duality. The more information you get, you get to choose how you want, what perspective you want to take. Are you living in a state of, of you know, duality where there's a, there's a subject object, things are separate and it's really easier for you to understand things when you look at them over there or you, is it best for you personally to come from a place of, of did I say that backwards no yeah duality separate non-duality where everything truly is connected there is no separation and so you've got the internal communication from your body and honing your ability to really have that internal conversation with less emotional triggering and response that's super key (laughs) and then being able to receive the information from the outside and if you can get those two things to come together that it's like (sighs) just lock in to your ability to really be integrated and be, um, using that information, you know, kind of from all directions to not only your benefit, but the benefit of everything around you. I have a question, Lisa, is that kind of like the woo that you talk about how we're woo, like we can pick up on stuff.
0: What is, you so what Coach is that? Jen, um, what we're talking about is so it, there's a leadership assessment called strengths finders with 14 different characteristics wow. of leadership. and one of them is woo, which I forgive my statistics, but I think only like 11% of the population has that as their first strength, which is really it's social intuition. Mm-hmm. um, where you can just walk up to someone and you instantly know where to meet them. You know, whether you can be like, Hey girl, Hey, or if you need to be like, hello, how are you? Yeah. You know, it's not about changing who we are, but it's about meeting people where they are from that aspect of our genuineness. I don't know if I said this <laughs> eloquently, but right. So my, my question with that gender, it's so funny. We're like wooing out together, girl, because Good. I'm going to ask about that, um, Coach Jen, I wanted to ask you, where does psychology what is psychology's view on intuition from a science standpoint? What what is that, right? Because we finally have a leadership assessment that acknowledges intuition is a legitimate skill in how we lead, how we connect. Yeah. Which is amazing. So where does that overlap or interact with psychology?
2: So uh, so many things come up. I think that once psychology started to really engage with the whole human, right, in the beginning of that humanistic psychology movement, um, I really feel like there's an element there. All those theorists, if you kind of read back through the, the, the theories of, and, and actually, if you go even way back to the beginning, like Freud just didn't finish his work. Freud acknowledged that there is an element of human experience that he hadn't studied yet, and it was an immeasurable, intangible, untouchable thing that was like the next, I feel like Star Trek, the next generation of his you know, exploration. And so I think psychology has always acknowledged that there's an element of human experience that couldn't be measured originally by that traditional scientific structure, um, where you have a subject, an object, and one thing is helping you define one compared to the other, um, but increasingly there 's more and more room for the concept that um, that the spirit in you that animates you and the the aliveness the, the energy that makes you really alive in this world is fundamental to who you are as a person it's not just something so it's grown over time and it's acceptance of the concept of the intangible parts of human experience being fundamentally important to how we grow and develop that is so cool does that answer your question it is
1: it makes sense it's fascinating now my next question is when you when you started this business of helping people with this how Mm -hmm. do you find people that either a need it are aware of it want it like how how do you talk to me about lead generation for you Jen? if you don't mind absolutely like
2: i think for me one of the one of the biggest things i had to do for me personally for my business was niche it down i had to niche it down to an audience and say these are my people this is my tribe um and I've coached like I said I did the health coaching thing I've done corporate coaching I've done exec, you know coaching with executives and directors so I've done coaching like all across the board with different populations and it's not like I don't have those clients anymore I still do coach those individuals but the niche of what I do now is focus really from the life experiences that I've had and I think that happens with a lot of people's work right like we swing around to um wanting to work in the places we've come from to maybe ease the journey or, or flatten the slope so it's not such a steep climb for the people that come after us. Um, as an athlete, um, I know that the truth that no one talks about in sport is that you will stop playing. And it's a hard truth and people always go, I don't wanna hear that, but the reality is every athlete stops playing and they use it as an excuse to not develop personally. They use the, that their fear stops them because they get attached to a role. And, um, Lisa, you were going to, we were talking about, I said something about loving people and identity, um, crisis. And so I'm going to play with that for a minute Yeah. Um, in the sense of athletes lose that state of action that helps them know who they're being and they have to ask the question. It's required to ask the question. Now what, and where am I going to go from here? And the unfortunate thing I see over and over, you've seen it in Michael Phelps' story, and you've seen it in a lot of other athlete's story, is all of this amazing developmental work they did, they drop it like it was nothing. And like the sport is what made it happen. And then they walk away and try to start from scratch. And I'm like, no, 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 wait a second, hold on the sport doesn't make you, you make the sport. The sport is nothing without you. So it's instilling in the athlete, the value and, and the inherent characteristics that sport turned on in them. It's just a light switch. So part of the lead generation is really getting the message out there to athletes that you are more than your sport, that this one experience, I don't care if it's Five, two decades, five years, 40 decades of your life, right? That's why, that's why Kobe Bryant's come out with the Mamba mentality and he won the Academy Award for the, you know, the cartoonist work that he did because he took his life journey and said, I won't stop being an athlete. This is who I am. Yeah. So part of it is being willing to take the gifts of the role that you're in with you. And that's what I learned to do in my journey as an athlete. So I go out and I speak, to at uh, schools and student groups and parent groups about the fact that you are so much more than your role defines you as. And so on the parenting front, I, my personal experience with being a parent was just brutal. Uh, short, blunt version is that uh, seven and a half months pregnant, I uh, found out my marriage was ending. A month later, my husband left and I was alone and, and he needed to, it's all good. Like separation happens for a reason. Um, And we co-parent as best we can now, but I was alone with the baby, (laughs) my first baby um, in a big house. And then the day I went back to work, I lost my job. I mean, so I had another one of those, like the fall, I I was let go of um, uh, for- It
0: happens more than you know.
2: Yeah, exactly, like the floor fell out and and so I was like, oh my God, I'm here again. I'm on the floor again. And I was like, I'm not starting over this time. I have way too much good stuff. I'm not starting from scratch. So my lead generation comes from really helping people see that the experiences that they've had have just been the switch that turns on what they need to move forward. And I work with parents because they get stuck in the tunnel of being a parent, either forget or lament who they wanted to be before those kids came and feel like they're never going to reach it. And I'm like, uh -uh. practice. Identity,
0: ah, crisis. Exactly. identity
2: crisis. identity they- crisis. we
0: have a collaboration we need to do. So there's sure. something baked into that because we'll totally talk more. Because yes, there are so many parents who, you know, and we and you and I have both been there where we're like, "Who the hell am I now? yes who the hell? Who am I? I've got puke on me. I haven't showered in three days. I've you know have had the same sheets on my bed for a month. What the actual f is happening? So yeah." Okay, more to come. We'll go back to the subject. Well, and that vibe
2: happens over and over again, right? Like your kids hit your kids hit the end of preschool and you're like, oh my God, they're going to kindergarten. Correct. They don't see as much. Now what am I going to do? Correct. They hit high school. again. Yeah. They hit college. You do my it again. Gosh. You're constantly going through the identity crisis of who are they, who you're am I? I'm literally
0: narrating <laughs> my book right now. Like this is amazing.
2: Yes. Sure. Okay. I'll hook you with it. Uh <laughs> Right? So they're constantly going through that crisis. So that's why I, I love and work with parents because my experience at a parent, as a parent said, I mean, I had a corporate gig. I made plenty of money. I worked almost full time. I got my master's degree. I was alone with my baby. And you know what happened? I got sick. I was so sick from the exhaustion of my life that I said, I'm not going to do this anymore. I want to be the drop-off pickup parent. I want to take my lunch and go to the, you know, the, the teddy bear picnic in the middle of the day. Whatever it is that's happening with my kid, I want to be there and I want to do my work. And that's why I say mompreneur. I go by Coach Jen because what I, what I do, it used to be everything that I am, what I do, right? And now it, it just infuses my life and there's no separation." So lead generation comes from the public service announcement of you are more than what you do. You are more than your role assigns you. And let's get in there and figure out what you've already learned and how you're going to use it for the next. And that's where that performance aspect comes in, because it's about creating the experiences and the outcomes that you want in every area of your life. And how awesome that
1: you modeled it
2: doing my best <laughs> ass mama. Hey,
0: I have to just call out to when we talk about this concept of roles and titles. So, you know, when you talk about identity crisis, I even think of, you know, the clients that I have that have left corporate mm-hmm. and are doing their own thing and they have been tied to a corporate title and a corporate identity for decades. So, I mean, this can happen in general. You know, you talked about athletes, you talked about like, you know, single non-parent title and sort of like mentally what that means to you and you know now this parent role what that means and your identity is baked into that and then you know these corporate titles there's so many different boxes like we need to stop putting ourselves in boxes you know Jen and I were talking about this as far as it goes with gender like why does it have to be like girl power because if anybody were to say like bro power or male power it would be like an uprising but guess what men deserve love as well and and actually they're kind of the group that's missing it right now because they're not as collaborative as women. Um, you know, Jen always talks about you power. And that's what this conversation brings me back to. It's about you as an individual and connecting back to who you are. That's your freaking identity. It's not a title or a role or a name or a box or yeah. a gender. It's your soul.
1: Yeah. And I love the fact that Jen, you you recognize that life is cyclical and we're going to go through phases of life and it, it, like as soon as we're aware of that, we can be, you know, cognizant of what it's going to do to us, how it's going to impact us, and if we need help or support, to reach out to that. Because I absolutely suffered from that in two thousand fifteen. Like, I, talk about having titles and upward progression in a career and being a superstar for over two decades. Like, I was the picture of corporate America. Like, yay. You know, and then and then all the accolades that you get from your parents, who are like, "I'm so proud of you. You keep doing all these great things." And then, and then I'm like, "Done," because I'm only seeing my kids for an hour and a half a day, and I resign and decide to go and be an entrepreneur, which I don't know how to do. Like I did not know how to do that. Thank God for Stacy, right? But I had to struggle through that because I had been the subject matter expert and climbing that ladder and personal growth and all of these things, and now all of a sudden I'm like, "Wait a minute. I don't have somebody that can make that deck for me. I don't." have someone <laughs> get my printer. It's all you <laughs> copy machine. Like I need help. You know? And it's like those moments where you realize, oh shit, I gotta get it together. But had I not had somebody like Stacy, who was like, hold on a second, this does not define you. This is who you are and, and just bring it back. So now I feel yep. like I'm I'm better prepared for the next phase of life, which is going to be kids going to middle school or high school. And it's so it's so real, Jen, what you're saying is so real. And people you might not realize it as you're going through it. And then you're looking back, going, Oh crap, I have an empty house. And I was a mother of all these kids that now they're gone. What the hell now? It's right. It's the what next factor.
2: Yeah, and it's really it's what's now so that what's you can't yeah. for what's next, right? It's the but it's it is the what next what's next factor. Cause like we are so trained to go ahead, ahead, ahead that we don't always pay attention to. So like I said, you got you got so many sources, you've got this body informing you all the time. You got this divine sense informing you all the time, and it can be a logical, scientific-based one, it can be a woo-woo divinity one. I don't care. There's a source of information outside of you that comes in. Agreed. And you don't agree, then get off the podcast. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> right? Like so, so you got it coming up, you got it coming down. What's happening now? Find out where they're meeting. What are the skills you have from these other experiences? And you bring it all together so that when you know what's happening now, and this is you, you what's next just it just, you don't even have to think about it. It actually lines up for you. Yeah. You, know
0: you manifest it. You get your energy aligned, and the universe conspires
2: to exactly. Explore. And that's why I love working with people in this state of kind of like identity crisis or transition or challenge of who am I? Where's this going? How am I supposed to do this? Now, what do I do? Right? So I love the athletes because they're so lost. They've been spoon fed exactly what they're supposed to do from day one to day a million and whatever. Here's how I train. Here's how I breathe. Here's who I hang out with. Here's who I listen to. I mean, it's so programming as an athlete. And the amazing thing about working with anybody who needs to do that shift is that they are on the verge of discovering that their actual potential is exponentially bigger than they've always defined it in that role. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So Jen, coach, Jen, I have to ask when, when we, you know, initially connected, you said that there is one specific thing that is holding people back. And I told you, don't tell me because I want you to save this for the the podcast. You said there's the number one thing that is holding people back, you know, from reaching this highest level of potential or realizing this highest level of potential what comes to mind for that now? Like what, you know, what, what can you share that we can sort of start to be on alert for journey?
2: Mm-hmm. So there's, there's three things that came up. The first one is fear. Mm-hmm. Um, the, second, the second one is perspectives. Mary Poppins, it's all on how you look at it. Um, and the third one is self-love. Um, the fear will tell you there's only one way. And it's a very seductive story, a very seductive story, because depending on what your circumstances are, when fear says this is the only way it's going to go, and you're already in a state of scarcity, or I'm not sure, or doubt is on, or right, just you're not necessarily in a very clear place when fear says this is the only way it's going to work, you'll believe it. It's the same reason people follow dictators. They go, this is how it's going to work, and you do what I tell you to, and you make it simple and easy. Your fear makes it simple and easy, straight like dictators. So you, you don't, you lose your sense of self when you can't separate your fear from what do I think? And there's a super simple coaching practice that is a little bit silly. And it's the reason it works. If you're a Harry Potter fan, it's like turning the bug art into the funny thing to make you laugh. And then all of a sudden the bug art that came out of the box that became your scariest thing isn't so scary anymore because you turned it into a spider or put it in grandma's clothing. It's one to acknowledge that fear, You know what I mean? Like if you've seen that Harry Potter, you know what I'm talking about. So, so I have little children who watch Harry Potter all the time. Um, but what I'm talking about is the ability to acknowledge your fear separate from you. And that takes perspective. That takes the ability to watch your fear like it's a movie on a screen, animate it in your mind. You can write it down. You can draw it. You can pick any creative medium. But you want to say, what is the story of my fear? go ahead and get that story out so you can see it because once it's over here and you're back here watching it you'll begin to feel yourself and you'll begin to know am i afraid or is it just my fear
1: hey jen in this in this um illustration are we associated or dissociated like do we see is it gopro we can see out of our own eyes or are we seeing ourselves within the story of fear
2: i'm just trying to. No, that's a great. That's a great question. It's going to show up differently for different people. A lot of times, most coaching will disassociate it, which means that they'll make it a character, a place, or a thing, right? Um, and so you just make your fear a noun. Like one of my favorite fears ever was the Tasmanian devil. I said, "What does it look like?" What's the story? My And my client said, well, it's making me rush. It's pushing me. It's telling me I don't have time. It's telling me I don't have enough. And I'm like, cool. What does that feel like? It feels tight. It feels fast. It feels it feels spun. And I'm like, what character is tight, fast, and spun? And they're like, Tasmanian devil. And I'm like, great. So now I need you to let the devil spin and just listen to what it's saying and take a step back and watch. And when you have cool. that practice of, right, can you feel it? You actually yeah. get to separate from the story that's happening in your body with this visual physical reference you've now given it something concrete like Tasmanian devil and when it comes up you'd be like oh there's my devil and you just
0: had a few choice words for that little devil
2: (laughs) devil. do you have one that says I have no time (laughs) no
0: I don't know I just I was envisioning what you're saying and how you literally can now step back and look at your fear and say hey listen (laughs) a-hole I'm done you know I'm done having you inform my thoughts like back away you know, it, it allows you to give it like this energy of disconnection. I love it. I think it's great. I can completely visualize what you're saying.
2: And that allows you to have perspective to see. And sometimes with, in coaching, it's often called a gremlin or a saboteur. Like sometimes you do, you need to create separation from that. But I find more often than not, this is what's the third piece with self-love. I find more often than not, than not that in the long run, there's two things you're going to do. First, well, three things. First, you're going to play that game where you separate. And you get a sense of what is this thing? What am I dealing with? What's its story? Write down the story. Make it a color. Write down how it feels. Like really know the experience of what that thing is doing to you. Yeah, like hit every modality, right? Totally. If you're a visual person, draw it. If you're an auditory person, listen to it, right? If you're a kinesthetic person, get up and spin around like the devil and then stop and see how you feel. I know it sounds crazy. No, but it's (laughs) true. So. I mean, this is
0: what Jen talks about in her um, seven steps to influence. That's a a big part of that. So awesome. Yeah, Yeah. it is.
2: Yeah. So once you do that separation, then it's time to talk to you. Then it's time to talk to you and go, okay, what do I think? What do I think about, let's say it was, um, deadlines, random Let's deadlines and someone who can't ever meet a deadline. They have a fear about a deadline. They always get freaked out when there's a deadline and they don't get anything done and they skip past it and deny all these, these major accomplishments they would have had because they can't meet a deadline. But the fear has a story about the deadline. They go, okay, well, what do I think about a deadline? And now you can build your own story. You can creatively, literally build your own story separate from the Tasmanian devil. And then the, the third piece of integration from that that takes some time is learning to love both. Because rejecting that, that fear and rejecting that Tasmanian, you can do boundaries be like, back off. But rejecting it entirely and saying, get out of my life, is you saying that to a piece of you. Yeah, that's true. You can't ever, re- you can't ever get rid of it, but just in the way that you can learn to collaborate, work, and even use it as a friend. I mean, my fear is my friend now. I'm like, what's up? I feel the spidey senses, the hair's standing up. What do you want me to pay attention to? And
0: yeah,
2: I work you with learn. That. You learn That's from it.
0: So it's true. It's, I mean, fear instead. serves its place. I mean, fear is... Aiming to protect us. I don't know. I mean, you you have the psychology degree, but I don't think our fear is like, hey, how can I screw them today? You know, how can sure. I? Screw them today? it's not about that. It's about alerting you to something. And it's interesting because I heard once and I don't remember, sorry, I usually try to give credit to all my sources, but I heard that if you don't fully know all the answers to a story, um, you know, your brain naturally starts to fill in the holes in the information and that's where assumptions are born from. And usually those assumptions are not (laughs) correct. And so I think that's really where your fear is, right? It starts kind of trying to fill in those holes of the Situation, and when you can pause and separate from that and say, Wait, wait, what is this fear trying to tell me? What is the message? Why is it? Why am I being stopped in my tracks? Why am I being redirected right now? And you can tune into that, then you can respond versus react to that.
2: Boom! That's right. Boom! Boom. That's right. right. Drop that mic, Chica. Drop it. You hit the nail on the head so fabulously. I I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yes. That. We
0: have so many good clips from this, Claire. <laughs> so, I mean, I think this is so helpful. I think this literally could be life changing for so many people. So
2: it really and, can. And sometimes it's fear and sometimes it's doubt and sometimes it's right. So, like the Move Strong method has a model, and, and that's one of the ways that you're able to do this process Say over that again. and over. What is that? The, said
1: Moop, you said Move Strong has a model on how to get. Oh, okay. Walk, walk us through that one more time. Say that again, Jen.
2: Absolutely. So you hit the nail on the head with what you were saying in terms of your ability to collaborate and become friends with the emotional experiences that you have previously tried to avoid, cut out, murder, push down, suppress, Uh uh-uh. What happens when you keep a child quiet?
0: Well, it breaks my heart that you just said that because it's so unnatural.
2: Yeah, exactly. That voice, all those emotions need you to listen, they want you to listen, they're part of who you are. And it can be overwhelming if they're all coming at once, which is why you learn one at a time to separate them out, have a relationship, learn to respond, as opposed to react, right? And really get a beautiful integrative process with that information from the inside, that information from the outside, so it becomes useful to you. And you just did a beautiful job, Lisa, of describing exactly the utility of that as an exercise, right? This, that's why we did the boom and the mic and all the deservingness. And what I did is in the, in the coaching process after so many years is I created a super basic model. It has two beginning steps and then a, and then a three part repeat and it's the ABCs awareness being in choice. So we just did an awareness exercise when we stepped apart and we saw that, that piece and we asked ourselves, what do I think compared to my gear? That's an awareness exercise. The being exercise is what you naturally stepped right into, Lisa, where you said, I can be this in relation to that. And I can choose that so that I can respond. And the choice at that point, do we even have to think about it? Are you going to reject your fear and cut it out? Mm -hmm. Or based on what you just experienced, are you going to work with it and maybe even be grateful for it and move forward with the wisdom that just gave you?
0: I like that you said be grateful for it because at one point, most likely that fear served you. Right. Yes. So it just no longer serves you right now. Yes. It yes. probably protected you from something at some point. It just doesn't serve you in this situation.
2: Exactly. Not the right tool for the job. I love the metaphor I use all the time with that. My clients go, I'm like, okay, you're hanging a picture in your house and you got the nails and you got the picture. What tool do you need? Yeah. A hammer! Yeah, I know. Thank you for answering my totally ridiculous, obvious answer question. You need a hammer. Okay, so you hang the pictures, you get that piece done, and then you have a sink full of dishes. That's next. Now, you go to the sink, but you don't drop the hammer. What happens to your dishes?
1: Yeah, well, I'm going to be washing
2: (laughs) them with a hammer. You're going to crush them. (laughs) You're going to explode. You're going to break them. Try Right? You're just, they're going to explode. And so what happens to you when an emotional tool that has served you in the past comes to you in the present? Does it feel like it might make you pop or lose your you-know-what?
1: Uh-huh.
2: Yes. Same thing. you just the, – the wrong tool is there in the present because it autopilots in. And so as we become aware of it, we can choose how we want to be with it. Like we can establish who we're being with it. And then our choice to, uh, to respond comes naturally.
0: And that's and so- the beauty of coaching is that, you know, you help give people all these variety of tools. So depending on the situation, they can say, I need the hammer – I need the the dish cloth. I need what have you. So mm-hmm.
2: I might even need my Tasmanian, my Tasmanian devil. Get in here and back me up. Make me fierce. Cause I need my fear right now so that I have that vibing energy to be fierce. Wow. Who knows? Maybe you can use it to help you.
1: Yeah. So Jen, if somebody in your audience wanted to reach out to you and, and get help with this, how how do they contact you? What is it? What's it look like to get a hold of you?
2: You know, uh, email or text is totally fine. I think it's just the, the easiest way to do it. A lot of some people will connect on social media, which is fine too. So email is jen at just like they said, M O V E, strongmethod.com. Jen at movestrongmethod.com. Um, the phone number to text is 805 244 6878 and um on social media you on instagram Yay, yeah thank you sweetheart so move strong method is on instagram um and then the facebook page is coaching with jen matthews okay. uh there's a little bit of a two brands in one there's coach jen and then there's the brand of move strong Method. so instagram is move strong method and facebook which what happens is most of this most of the athletes that i work with are on instagram and most of the parents that i work with are on facebook <laughs> So
1: that
2: right. That that makes sense. Because they
0: have two different yeah, two different users. Well, Jen, this has been an absolute lesson in life. And um, you know, I feel pretty confident this this message is going to teach someone, influence someone, multiple people actually, and help them to have more perspective on sort of what they're navigating through. And Oh my gosh, I, Jen and I, just like our pre-screen, I think Jen and I feel like we could talk to you for another two hours. So yeah. um, on behalf
2: of our- listeners, Stop, We'll do it again. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, for sure. And I'm gonna reach out to you for a collaboration. I think this piece around self-love, like there's so much to be taught there um, so that we can begin to heal ourselves and awesome. And so this has been wonderful, amazing. Thank you everyone for joining us. Um, and
2: yes. Yeah, forward to uh, sharing this with our listeners. You are so welcome. Can I throw one more freebie out yeah. there? For them? No yeah, please do. In, in honor of that self-love piece, um, one, of the, one of the fundamental tenets of the Move Strong Method is called self-service first. And it's the theory that when you do at least one thing, it doesn't matter how big or small. It literally doesn't matter how small. When you do one thing for yourself first, that's the way that the cup fills so that the overflow can touch the rest of the world and have the impact that you want to have. So on the website, movestrongmethod.com is a freebie that's about building your base. It's about building the base of strength that you need to move forward. And so um, you can scroll down and there's just a little sign up there. You just give your email and then you get uh, a full, it's the uh, just the basic of building your base um, for cultivating that self-love and taking care of yourself first. Cool.
0: Everyone, please go download that. Everyone could use a dose of... Self love, so. Cool. coach Jen. You're amazing. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you, you, ladies. It's so much fun to play with you. <laughs> okay. thanks, you. Everybody, have Bye. a good one. Bye.